So we're on this series, uh, Summer Grace, and it's been, it's, been, it's been a challenge for me to not only teach it, but to, to live it out. We just came off this, the message of you belong because of grace. You belong um, in the family of God. And, and uh, to David's point, that is really the message of Keystone Church. We want you to know that you belong. No matter what your past was, no matter what your walk of life was, no matter where you've been, no matter what your religious experience is, no matter what, your, uh, what sins you've committed, you belong. And it's, it's easier to teach than sometimes it is to live out. And uh, we experience that in everyday life. You get somebody that sort of irritates you, you know, and, and uh, they, they, don't, they rub you the wrong way or someone that doesn't believe quite the way you believe and they are argumentative about it or, you know, have a different political opinion than you do and they get really uh, heated about it. It's hard to say to that person that you belong and, and that we belong to each other. And it's, it's this amazing journey that we've been on to discover, can we truly have unity and diversity? Can we truly come from all different backs, uh, walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different religious experiences or uh, family experiences or political experiences? Can we really do this and live life together in community? And it, 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 I think we just have to keep reminding ourselves that, yeah, we can and we should and we do. And so tonight, I just want to talk a little bit about summer grace. You belong because of grace. It's sort of our topic through the summer but the big one I want to talk about tonight is, is grace still grace when we make stupid decisions? <laughs> is grace still grace when we make stupid decisions? And, you know, it's always been, well, you, you, you deserve that because you made a dumb decision or you, you get what you deserve. Um, that's always kind of a mantra growing up from our parents and, you know, you touch a stove, you're going to get burned. Well, you deserved it, dummy. You know, you don't touch a stove or, uh, you go play in traffic, you're probably going to get hit by a car. Well, stupid, don't go play in traffic. Uh, but is there grace for us as believers, us as human beings, us as children of God, is there grace when we make those dumb decisions? And uh, we were just having an impromptu conversation, Rachel and I, and of course I think yes is the answer, and we'll prove that throughout the night. But what about what you, or you reap what you sow? What about that? How do we, how do we justify uh, the reaping in what we're sowing? I mean, if I sow a life of promiscuity and I, and I, 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 I cheat on my wife and I don't treat her right, the consequences of that are her going to be, you know, see a sucker. I'm not sticking around for this. There's a consequences. There's consequences to our actions. That, that, is a, that is a law of the kingdom. There's things that happen because of what we do. But there's also grace for us to be able to walk through those consequences. Does that make sense? For instance, let's say that we have a gentleman that uh, committed a murder and he doesn't know Jesus. He's not in the kingdom of God, but uh, God loves him. God, how many of you know God loves murderers? I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine the wickedness of man, and yet God envelops that in the blood of Jesus. It's just, it's incredible. And this man commits murder, and the consequences of that are he, he serves a life term in, in uh, prison. And, um, and in prison, perhaps he meets the Lord, and he gets his life changed around. And that's, it's not going to change his circumstance, but it's certainly going to change his eternity. And sometimes I think that grace is a, is a point of, of, is an object of perspective. The grace we have to walk out our everyday life here. But what about grace for eternity? 
What about, what about the decisions we make today that are making eternal impact upon our lives, our bodies, our families? What does our eternity look like through the lens of grace? So this man commits murder and he gets to go to prison or he has to go to prison and meets the Lord. And there's grace then toppled, uh, coupled with this horrific crime that he committed. There's grace for that man. That is the love of God, man. That is God's love so, so unexplainable. So incomprehensible that someone as dirty and rotten as a murderer or a a child molester or anybody that is falling short of God can be covered by his grace. And the thing that you and I probably wrestle with the most is when I make a stupid decision, I probably am getting what I deserve. And God sees it another way. I heard... um, um, Oh, what's his name? Stephen Furtick this week. He said, you know, when, you're, when Jesus commands you to get in the boat and a storm comes, it's easier to justify that, well, Jesus said to get in the boat, we're going to probably get through the storm, okay. The problem that you and I have is when you and I get in the boat without Jesus and then we get to a storm. And we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, am I still going to get through this? And his illustration was, you know, some of us are such bent over in shame because of what we've done. We've gotten in the boat without Jesus. We've run into storms and we've failed and we've drowned and we've messed up our boats and our lives are a wreck and we can't even lift our head because of the shame. And that's when Jesus comes in with grace and said, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Lift your head. I got you. Even when you and I get in a boat without Jesus, there's still grace. Here's a familiar story. Luke 15, 11 through 32 is the parable of the lost son. And it's preceded by two other parables. And you guys know it, right? The lost sheep and the lost coin. And it's actually the beginning of Luke chapter 15 as Jesus is hanging out with all the drunkards and whores and gluttons. And he's being accused of, by the Pharisees for hanging out with the wrong crowd for breaking the law. And Jesus begins to, it's very interesting, he begins to unpack these three parables in light of the community he was hanging around. I don't want us to miss this. The community that he was hanging around was people who were hurting and broken and wounded, just like everybody that we see today. But so much more so in that culture, they were ostracized. They couldn't get jobs. They couldn't get, uh, uh, provide for their family. They were, they were looked down upon by the religious people. They were looked down upon by people who didn't, uh, think that they were as good as they were. It was a terrible way to live. And these are the people that Jesus hung out with. He was eating and drinking and, and laughing and dancing and having the time of his life with these kinds of people. In light of that, three, Parables come out. The one, of course, the lost sheep. The second is the lost coin. And the third is the lost son. Of course, you know the story of the lost son. He commands of his dad, give me my inheritance. I've earned it. I want it now. And I'm, I'm done listening to you. I'm done with all of the rules and regulations around this farm. I'm sick of shoveling poo. I'm sick of plowing ground. I'm sick of harvesting. I'm sick of it. I want to go do my thing. And the Bible says that he went into a far the distant country 
and spent all of his inheritance on drinking and women and gambling and whatever. He couldn't even get a job. Finally gets a job slopping pigs for a farmer. And says, if only someone would give me a cob of the corn that these pigs are eating. But the Bible says that no one would give him any. Isn't that amazing? The pigs were eating better than he was. So as you know the story, he comes to his senses and he says, man, my servants, my dad's servants are treated better than this. They actually have a roof over their head and, a, and three meals a day. And uh, there's just so much, their life is so much better. Why wouldn't I just at least return? Here's my plan. See, here's what we do when we make dumb decisions. We make plans to get out of it. The consequences were evident in this young man's life, right? So he starts to make a plan. Here's my plan. I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to repent and I'm going to tell him all the bad things I did and if he'll just have me as a servant, then, then I've win. They, I, at least I've got a home over my, uh, a roof over my head and a place to sleep and I know I'll be protected and, I, and I'm so hungry uh, that I know he'll take care of me. When we, when we make dumb decisions, we try to make dumber um, answers to get out of those consequences that we make for ourselves. And so here's this young man, and he's, you know, devising this plan. Okay, I'm on my way back. He's probably rehearsing it in his head hundreds of times. My dad's going to probably come out and be a little ticked, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to calm him down. You know, uh, as long as I can just be a servant, just hire me on as a servant and just be one of your guys. And uh, basically what he was saying is I've, I've already lost my inheritance. I blew it. I made the decision. The devil didn't make me do it. I did it. Uh, this is something I made. You know, the devil's not even mentioned in, this, in any of these stories. It's something we decided. We made the decision. We made a conscious call. And the outcome was horrific. And as you guys know the story, he goes to his dad and he starts to rehearse his line. And I love this. He says, Father, uh, I just need to say a couple things. The Bible says he couldn't get everything out because his father interrupted him. He couldn't get everything. He couldn't get his line out. He couldn't get his rehearsal out. He couldn't get his, in other words, he, ne he never got his repentance out. And it was just the fact that his father saw him. He embraced him. And he said, my son, which was lost, is now found. And of course, let's throw him a party. We got some barbecue beef. Let's get him a robe and a ring and some sandals. I mean, my son is home. Do you want to know what it feels like to be God? When one of those two-legged humans pays attention to me, it feels like I just reclaimed my most valuable possession which I had given up for lost. That's how this father felt. He wasn't interested in a repentance. He wasn't interested in, 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 in even, he never even needed to forgive him. He's like, oh, it's all taken care of. You need to understand something. First and foremost, you're my son. You'll never be a servant here because you're my son. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care that we, it's, it's, it's only money that can always be made back. But you, I can never get another one of you. You're my son. This, this incredible picture of grace. Now you and I, this math doesn't work for us. You and I want judgment. This is true justice. Justice, as David explained to us, is taking something and making it right, restoring it back to its original purpose. 
See, this young man really received pure justice. Everything was restored back to him. We want to justify it. We want to justify our justice. We want to say, well, yeah, you should probably at least earn back some of the inheritance that you blew. Or there's no way I can trust you anymore, uh, but there's a farmer down the road. I'm sure I'll see if he, I'll get him a job or he'll give you a job. I mean, you and I faced with this reality, I, I, I hope that we could respond this way, but more often than not, we would, ju- we would judge this young man and we would want to justify justice to him. Like, can you be trusted? Is that, that, I mean, am I, isn't this the truth? We would say, well, I can't trust you. Well, who knows where you've been? like a pig. He, oh, like just, and, but the father never said any of that. He simply embraced him, pulled him in, and said, you're my boy. Everybody that which was lost is, is, is found. Did you know that sometimes, sometimes rediscovery is greater than discovery. That's this whole, the, the three parables about rediscovery. And sometimes you lose something and when you find that thing, you're almost more happy than the day you got it. There's a story I'm reading about Philip Yancey and he, he had um, four chapters of a book written on a computer. And his computer crashed. And he thought that he had lost those four chapters forever. And he was distraught. He had never thought all the time. And, and if you've ever written, and a lot of you have, is you know that writing is a lot of research. And there's a lot of things. You write stuff down so you don't have to retain them. So he's got four chapters of a book written down. And he loses them. And he's distraught. He's like, I don't want to have to go through this again. I don't want to have to uh, rewrite these four chapters. I'm, oh my God, all the work that I poured into these four chapters. Man, I don't want to have to go through all that again. He ended up finding them. He got a recovered disc or something and found the four chapters. And he said, I was more excited to rediscover than I was when I wrote it the first time. You know, in our lives, when we, when we rediscover, we know about grace, but when we rediscover grace, it's almost sweeter than the first time you've ever heard about it. Isn't that good? It's like when, when, when you rediscover something, um, when we unpack and, and uh, Lily uh, was organizing a closet for us and she found all these really cool old pictures. And we'd seen the pictures lots of times, but rediscovering a picture, there's some sort of joy that wells up inside of you because you might have forgotten you had it or you, you forgot where you put it or, or it's something about rediscovery. I think that God is saying that, you know, look folks, you're all my kids and you're under the law, but I want, I want to rediscover you under grace. I want to rediscover our relationship through grace. So good. Grace is poured out upon us even when we screw up. The Bible says in Romans that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If there's not a picture of grace, it has to be the grace displayed to the thief on the cross. Here's a guy, talk about grace math that doesn't work. This doesn't work. Here's a guy who's on the cross. He's been a, he is justifiably being put to death according to Roman law. 
for whatever he's done. Maybe he was a, a political uh, uh, deviant. Maybe he was a murderer. Maybe he was a thief. Whatever it was, he was convicted of a crime and he was justified in being crucified. He was a criminal. Now think this through. Because this is shattering a lot of our own mentality about Jesus, our works, what we have to do to try and be good enough for him. Here's a thief on the cross. He'll, he'll never witness to a single person. He'll never make a single disciple. He'll never give a single cent to a church. He'll never lead worship. He'll never be married. He'll never be a dad. He'll never be anything other than a thief. And be a crucified thief. He doesn't say the right prayer. He doesn't go through the Romans road. He doesn't sign a confession sheet. He never gets baptized. And yet his simple request was, Jesus, remember me. In other words, this conversation I'm having with you, I want you to remember that. Remember me. There's something about you that's different. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. My friends, if that doesn't shatter everything we know about religion, I don't know what does. It's not what you can do for God. It's, about, it's all about what He's done for you. It's not about what we have done. It's not about our works. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about how much we give or sing or pray or fast or lift our hands or fight or communicate or, or gather. It's not about that. It's everything about what God has done for you and I. I love what Joe said last week. He said, theology is all about our idea of God when theology should really be God's ideas about us. That is good theology, isn't it? Discovering God's thoughts about you and I. What is he thinking about you? What does he think about your heart? What does he think about your life? Uh, your life? What does he think about the plan for your future? Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God's grace is not dependent upon anything that we can do for him. Rather, it is based on everything that he can do for us. Here's another mind blow. There's a story that Jesus tells of workers that working in a field and this man hires them in the beginning of the day. He hires a whole crew of people and they agree upon a price. They say, you're going to work for X amount of denarii today. And as the day moves on, there's more people that come to work midday and they settle upon a price. And finally, there's a whole group of people that come at the end of the day and they settle upon a price or a wage that they're going to get paid. At the end of the day, everybody goes to the master and they, they uh, get their wages and the guys that started at crack of dawn and worked all day and sweated through the heat and the sun and, and labored and their hands are, are cracked and calloused and bleeding, they all of a sudden realize that the people who showed up an hour before quitting time are getting the same wage as they were. I promise you, my union head does not compute. You know what I say? That's not fair. It's not fair, but it's just. Come on. It's making things right. The, the, the boss finally sells everybody complaining that got there at the beginning of the day. He says, what does it matter to you how I spend my money? 
You agreed on a price at the beginning of the day. I decided I was going to pay these people at the same, at the end of the day, the same price. What do you care? Isn't it funny that only after grace is distributed do we want to argue it? Only after grace is given do we want to rebut it. Do we want to argue it? We want to talk about grace. We want to give grace. We want to study grace. We want to smile and sing about grace. Amazing grace. But when it is, when it is dulled out, for lack of a better word, that's when we don't understand it. That's when we want to justify our wage. That's when we want to argue with the boss and say, that's not fair. Grace isn't about being fair in your eyes. Grace is about justice in God's eyes. This story obviously is so relatable to the kingdom. And he's talking to the Jews, of course. You know, you guys have been with me for, forever and you're still not getting it. But these Gentiles that are coming in, they're coming in late in the game. And yet they're going to experience the same amount of blessing that you have. That's grace. And it's so hard, and I know in your mind, if you're like me at all, you're still a recovering Pharisee, and you're saying, that doesn't make sense. That math does not add up. That's not fair. Why should I have to work my entire life, be the faithful son on the farm, and, and this punk kid comes home smelling like crap, and he gets a party? I'm not even going. See, we talk about grace until grace is distributed. And then we have a hard time understanding grace. What did it matter to the eldest son? What did it matter to the early worker? What did it matter if the father decided to throw a party for the young son? What triggers inside of us is judgment. Judgment replaces grace. And so we want to judge and we want to justify who deserves grace. Come on. We want to we wanna be the judge. We want to be in the, judging, in the judgment seat. And this is what Jesus was saying. Look, it's not your place to judge people. It's your place to display my grace. Let me judge them. Don't worry. It'll all work out. Don't worry. Look, it, as a matter of fact, set yourself free tonight. And you, you could say, I, I don't have to judge anybody. I'm not the judge. My job is to simply ex, ex, show grace, show love, show mercy. That's my job. My job isn't to judge or justify or even justify who gets grace. We have, we've been working with a family I've actually never even met that have, um, it's a mom, I'm sorry, it's a, it's a young lady and her dad. They were homeless for a long time. They live in the, in down south somewhere. <clears throat> Carl's actually been ministering to them and and every month I get a, an email from this young lady and she humbly requests a bus pass for her dad just to get to this part-time job that he's working. I think a bus pass is 63 bucks a month. Today she emailed me again and said, forgive me for asking again, but can you help one more time? And that Pharisee in me said, you know what? No, no, we're, we're done. Come on. We've helped you since January. This is ridiculous. You can't buy a bus pass. 
How are you spending your money? You're probably buying Starbucks. And you know what I did? I stalked her on Facebook. Like, well, you got tattoos. You have a nose ring. You could have used that for, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because I'm, I'm a jerk. <laughs> and, and, and there's times when I want to judge and I want to justify who receives God's grace. I'm such... Walk with me. Journey with me. I'm on this journey. And this journey says, you know what? I emailed her back. And I said, Liz, we can absolutely help you as much as you need. There is no end to the grace of God. There's no end. Who am I to let this young lady know that, oh, your grace card's out. Your grace credit has been, ex ex it's been uh, extended and uh, you don't have any more. That's not grace. Grace is eternal. Grace is forever. If we're going to tell people they belong, then grace has to be the vehicle that gets us there. It has to be. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude, Paul says, for all that God has given me, and especially as I have a responsibility in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. It is important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us. Not by what we are and what we do for Him. The only accurate way to understand ourselves, get this guys, is for us to understand what God is and what he does for us. Not by what we are. And what we do for him. I mean, if this isn't upside down for me, I'm not sure what is. I, I'm, 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 I, I read this and my heart's like, that's cool. And I have no idea what it means. I read a passage like this and my entire life has been doing things for God and neglecting the things with God. And all he's saying is, would you flip your theology and think less about what you can do for me and think more about what I'm doing for you? That's grace. How we live this out makes all the difference in the world. David, you talked about e pluribus unum, out of many, one. How do we do that? How do we have unity and diversity? Grace. This is a very fresh story, but last night we met a guy who was a little out of, out of sorts and, and a little um, annoying, I guess. And I watched him sort of just become more annoying as the night went on and, and I thought, this guy belongs. I mean, he's, a, he's being a total jerk, but he belongs. He totally belongs.
and and grace spelled out was in several different ways, but it was right there in front of me, and I could have judged him, and I could have put him in a box, and I could have put him in my Pharisee file and said, you will never belong because of the way you just acted. You'll never be a part of our crew. You'll never be in our friendship. You'll never be part of us because that's who I used to be. It's based upon what you can do, not about what God is doing for you. This flips everything upside down. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and what He does for us, not by what we are and what we do for Him. Henry Nouwen said this, this is a good quote, God rejoices not because of all the problems of the world have been solved, not because all human pain and suffering have come to an end, nor because thousands of people have been converted and are now praising Him for His goodness. No, God rejoices because one of His children who is lost has been found. In all three stories of Luke chapter 15, the Bible says that the angels throw a party like no other in heaven when something that has been lost is rediscovered. When the son who is lost, there's more joy over one sheep lost and found than there was in the 99 who are, by the way, sort of left in the field. It's grace. How do we live this out in our everyday life? Number one, can I just set you free tonight? You're not the judge. You're not the judge. Your job is to release grace and forgive. And forgive. And forgive. The Bible says you're supposed to give, forgive 70 times 7. And, uh, you know, it equals 490. But actually that whole Hebrew picture is eternally forgive. It's walking in perf perfected forgiveness. Clothe yourself in forgiveness. You're not the judge. Forgive. I promise you, when you begin to just forgive, grace comes so easy. I know this guy was probably embarrassed and about the way he acted. And I just wanted to embrace him and say, it's okay. It's okay. We've all been there. We've all been idiots. We've all been stupid. It's okay. You belong. You belong. I think the second practical thing we can do is extend grace to you. Lift your head. Yeah, you've made some bad decisions. Yeah, you've done some stupid things. Yeah, if you're listening on podcasts tonight, you've sinned. And justify that or reconcile that would be a better word with you reap what you sow, yes, but there is grace in the reaping. Come on. There's grace in the reaping. Man, I've made some bad decisions. God's got you. Uh, Teresa and I have sort of lived by a mantra that we walk and if we screw up, God will make an adjustment. You know what that is? Grace. 
It's the whole perhaps God message. Hey, we're going to go plant a church. You think that's going to work? I don't know. Perhaps. You know what? If we screw up, God will make an adjustment. He'll, he'll move our feet exactly where he needs them to go. That is setting ourselves free and saying, I extend grace to me. Sometimes a lot of us can extend grace to others, but we failed to extend grace to us. Man, God loves you. He loves you because of you. You're his creation. The Bible says that you're his masterpiece. Created for good things for him. There's nothing too far outside the scope of grace. There's nothing that can't forgive. There's nothing that can't save. There's no, 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 no person too far outside of the scope of God's grace. No one. Not a single soul. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's grace. When does that happen? I don't know. Some sort of judgment. One of the judgment thingy-majiggers, we think. I threw all my charts away, so I'm not really sure, right? But if every knee bows and every tongue confesses, there is a measure of grace on all of humanity. That is a mystery. It is a mystery to me. Because you know what I want to do? Those people live for themselves their entire lives. They died. They went to some place uh, where, you know, wherever they went, and, and yet they still, what? They still have an opportunity to claim Jesus as Lord? That don't make no sense. I want to justify the fact that they never lived their entire life. And then the thief on the cross comes to my mind again. Two practical applications, right? Number one, stop being the judge. Extend grace. Extend justice. Restore someone who's been embarrassed back to their original state. And, and secondly, extend grace to you. Extend grace to you. Forgive yourself. Lift your head. And know that God is not against you, but He is for you. Amen? It's good. Hey, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this family. Although light tonight, God, we know you're in control. And it's honest, it's hard to... <laughs> it's, it's just hard sometimes, Lord. But man, it's good to trust you and love on you and love on your family tonight, God. It's such a good word. Thank you for teaching us, continuing to take us down this path of grace. And... Continue to teach me, Lord, just a recovering Pharisee, a Nicodemus coming to you at night, scratching my head, saying, man, I just am having a problem, a hard time understanding this. And I want to justify someone's wage, and I want to justify, man, I want to justify someone's eternity. I want to judge that, and it's just not my job. God, help us to return to the simplicity of the, of the gospel and in that it is by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any of us should boast. We bless and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.